Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 71 of the Australian Hiker podcast, and in this week's episode, we're talking about planning a long-distance hike. Now, when we think about planning a long-distance hike, really, there's no difference from a shorter hike. I mean, they're both the same, right? <laughs> uh, in uh, In theory, the concepts are the same, uh, but in theory. In reality, there are a number of other factors that come into consideration when we're talking about long-distance hikes. Now, while I have done a number of multi-week hikes, I have never done a five to six week hike before. Uh, and as an obsessive planner, I have spent two years planning my upcoming Bibbleman track hike, which I start in just under five weeks. And this podcast is going to take you through the planning process to provide you with a broad overview of the key areas you need to consider if you're looking at doing a long distance hike. Now, I must say here that while this is my journey and should only be used as a guide, the broad concepts apply to everyone, and this is what we're going to go through and discuss today. Once I've finished my 1,000-kilometre journey towards the end of September, I'll report back on how I went, including how well my planning did or didn't pay off. In the written version of this podcast, which is now available on the Australian Hiker website, I'll make available a checklist on the key considerations for planning a long-distance hike to help you in your journey. Before we start talking about the concept of planning for a long-distance hike, let's look at a couple of basic terms we're going to be using throughout this podcast. Firstly, what is a through-hike? Now, in general terms, a through-hike is generally applied to a long-distance hike that is done over a consecutive series of days and completed in one go. Now, there doesn't seem to be a distance attached to this, but this is a term often associated with the American long-distance trails and implies big mileage. Hiking for multiple weeks in one go isn't the same as doing a series of shorter hikes where you pop back home for a rest. The other term you can often hear is a section hike, and this is where you complete a long-distance hike in a series of sections. So you may do it uh, a section and then take a few days off or a week off then go back and maybe spend a month or two off and then do another section. So it's not unusual for people to do section hikes uh, over a period of years. Now, the Bibbleman Track Foundation refer to the term end-to-end, uh, and this can be done as either a single through-hike or as a section hike over an extended period. Which way you choose is going to depend on a number of factors, and whether you do a trail in either manner is going to depend uh, on, on, a, on purely personal considerations that are going to apply to you. Uh, but for the rest of this podcast episode, the focus is going to be on through hikes, completing a long distance hike as a single in a single um, uh, long period. There is a well-known phrase attributed to Benjamin Franklin, which is "fail to plan and plan to fail." And the implication of this is, if you don't plan, then whatever endeavor you undertake is likely to fail. Having said that, there is such a thing as over planning, and I'll discuss this towards the end of the episode. 
Now, the first thing we're going to look at is finding your why. So you've decided to do a long distance hike. Uh, you're really excited. You go and tell the family. And in my case, the comments I got was uh, not that's great or congratulations or I wish I could join you. The general response of why on earth would you want to do that? Are you crazy? And what a waste of time. Actually, it was a little bit more um, R-rated than that. <laughs> we won't, we won't, uh, won't bore you with those details, but yes. <laughs> and in fact, the general lack of support from family and friends surprised me. Why did that surprise you? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's one of those sort of things, um, you know, and I suppose if I talk about why, what my why is, that might give you a bit of an idea. So my why involves... Um, Doing a long-distance hike like the Bibbulmun Track, which is a thousand kilometres, it's a personal challenge, uh, and and for me, it, I like to see how far I can push myself physically and mentally, and my whole life has been based on challenging my own abilities, amongst other things. I have a number of lo- Australian and long-distance hikes on my bucket list, and figure that I only have another thirty years left to do them, so that I'd better start now. Uh, and for me, I tend to do most of my thinking when I'm doing something physical. I have the ability to put my body into autopilot, and this is when I do my best thinking. Now, I will mention safety here. When I say autopilot, it's not walk and not look at what I'm doing. Um, when I hike, uh, particularly as a solo hiker, I'm very focused on where my surroundings, uh, where I'm putting my feet and where I'm going. But I'm, I'm able to do this uh, and walk and then think at the same time. So I can multitask. You think you can multitask. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you're planning on hiking for multiple weeks or months, you need to work out what your why is. It should be something that's important to you and won't disappear at the first sign of problems. The next consideration is picking a trail. Once you have your why, this is a great starting point as to which trail you should choose. If you your why is to see as many bird species as possible or to see the, the Western Australian wildflower season, which is part of my why for the Bibbulmun Track, uh, then it starts focusing on which trail you're likely to be wanting to do. Um, If you listen to episode 64 on Australia's long trails or read the written version, you'll find something that might scream at you that this is what I want to do. Every long distance trail is different and each has its own high points that may steer you to choosing a particular journey. From here, we need to look at picking a time. And in some respect, picking a trail and picking a time really need to be looked at together um, because you may find that the time doesn't suit the trail or vice versa. So in picking a trail, you need to consider when you can get time off work. And it may be that the only time you can actually get this time off, it's not suitable to do the trail that you want to do. So it either means you need to rearrange your plans or pick a different trail. Um, For me, there's probably two main considerations. The weather on the track, and this is going to apply to every track you look at. So if we look at Australian trails like the Australian Alps walking track in eastern Australia, it can be impacted, or in fact is impacted, by heavy snow during wintertime. The Hayson Trail, or the Hyson Trail in South Australia, is closed due to excessive heat and fire danger in summertime. The Bibbulmun Track, which is the track I plan on doing, um, while they don't close the trail, they strongly discourage people from hiking in summer due to the extreme heat, 
limited water and potential for bushfires. But they don't close the trail, so they leave it up to individuals to look after their own personal responsibility. Now, while these are extreme considerations, um, every trail is impacted by weather. And so in the relation to the Bibbulmun track, there currently uh, are strong wind and heavy rain and storm warnings for the track area. So I'm just <laughs> That's glad That's fantastic, Tim. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just glad I'm not doing the track just at the moment. And I know looking at some of the social media feeds uh, on Facebook and others that a number of people have gotten off trail because the conditions just aren't suitable. So you've got a month. Is that uh, is that it? I've got about 5 <laughs> weeks. So the potential for bad weather still exists, but I'm hoping I've missed the worst of it. Mm. Did I say that I was going to a resort with a friend? <laughs> now, the second consideration is fitness. I have seen hikers on various trails in the past uh, decide to do a track or a trail on a spur of the moment. Um, they've done no fitness training. They just say, oh, yep, let's book the trail. I'm starting next week. Uh, now, there are no comparable statistics in Australia that I'm aware of, but when you look at statistics from the Pacific Crest Trail, Around about 25% of hikers drop out of this hike in the first week, and that's usually due to some physical reason, whether it be fitness or injury. So building the right appropriate or building the right level of fitness for the trail you're choosing to do uh, really is going to make a big difference. Uh, and in, uh, in next our next episode, uh, we'll be talking about preparing uh, for hiking uh, from a fitness perspective. From here, we've looked at the the time and the trail we're going to be doing. Now we're going to look at how long we think it's going to take us to do a trail. Uh, And when people ask me how long should it take to do a particular trail, my answer really is it depends. Now, I live on the east coast of Australia and will be travelling to Western Australia to do the Bibbulmun Track, and I don't want to make multiple trips back and forth to try and finish this track off. So this is why I've chosen to do it in one go. But I know that a number of people who live in the in Western Australia uh, have the the ability to say, well, I'll do half of it this year and half of it next year. So this is the reason for me deciding to do this trail in one go. Um, and given that I am doing it in one go, I need to make sure that I have enough time to do it. Uh, and in deciding that, the factors I need to consider is how fit I am, how heavy my pack is, How fast do I actually travel when I'm hiking? Uh, What sort of experience I want? Uh, Do I just want to amble and just take as much time as possible and and stop and look at every flower along the way? Or uh, uh, do I want to get through this as quickly as possible? Um, And everyone's going to have a different view on what is right for them, and there's no right answer here. And then it also comes down to how much time do I have? So from my perspective, I have 45 days in total from the time I leave Canberra to the time I need to be back at work again. So I've got that 45-day period uh, allowing for airfares either side or uh, a day's travel either side to actually do this trip. Now, in in considering how long it's going to take, there's a consideration of speed uh, versus duration. Now, the faster you walk, the more stress you put on your body and the bigger the risk of injury. So if you're planning on doing a long-distance hike, then you need to know whether you're going to walk longer days, whether you're going to walk faster or somewhere in between. And whatever the answer is here, it needs to be comfortable for you. 
So in relation to the Bibbulmun track hike, I've been planning this for just about a bit over two years. Uh, and as a result, I've spent two years working out exactly what my physical limitations are. Uh, and this is providing that there are no unforeseen circumstances. And I'll talk about that in a moment. So I've planned on spending 35 days walking uh, for the Bibbulmun track. Now, this is when I say walking, this is, doesn't account for some rest days or injuries, but I'll talk about that in a moment. So when I talk about walking, I'll be averaging around about 3.7 kilometers per hour. I know I can maintain that quite comfortably uh, for around eight, eight hours a day at around 30 kilometers a day average. Some days I'm going to be doing less than that. Some days I'm going to be doing more, but this is the average. As I said, this is a comfortable speed. I'm perfectly capable of walking much faster than that uh, on a typical hike. Um, and it really gives me a bit of a buffer if I need to walk slower or something happens. So how have you worked that out, Tim? Well, I, uh, I do carry a GPS on all hikes that I do. And partly that's for two reasons. When I go through and uh, review walks uh, on our website, I like to have the statistics. So distances and altitudes and times traveled. But what this does also allow for me, it gives me an average traveling speed. So I can look at my GPS, and this is the main reason I carry a GPS, is to say, well, okay, I've just done this type of terrain, uh, and as a result, um, I know that when I'm walking up a steep hill, my average traveling speed is about 2.7 kilometers per hour. On flat ground, um, I can travel around about 4.5 to 5 kilometers an hour. So I tend to average out at around about that 3.7 kilometers an hour quite comfortably. Um, and as I've said, I'm planning on walking eight hours a day, um, but some days I might be walking shorter, some days I might be walking longer. So that 3.7 um, kilometers per hour doesn't sound like a lot. Does that include breaks? It doesn't include breaks. So that's eight hours of walking, which means if I allow half an hour for lunch and then sort of two or three 15-minute breaks, it means that I'm going to be traveling for probably around about nine to nine and a half hours per day, or I might be traveling a bit faster than the 3.7. And I think that was one of the things that we found when we were on Larapinta Trail, um, because the time indicators from uh, one trailhead to the next trailhead uh, didn't seem to include breaks. No, that's right. And, and I think it's um, you've got to try and factor those in. Um, I don't tend to have long lunch breaks. Um, I will stop and, and smell the roses for want of a better term as I, as I go. But one of the things from my perspective is I average around about five and a half hours of sleep a night. I've done that for the last 15 odd years. Um, and I find that works quite well for me. That's good for you, Tim. <laughs> um, and Generally, what I find is um, when it's dark, when I'm out hiking, I go to bed. So I, w I expect to be in bed 6.37 and going to sleep at that sort of time, which means potentially I'm waking up at 1 o'clock in the morning. I'll be wide awake looking for something to do. So in, in many cases, I'm, I'm going to be starting walking before it's full light, and I'll probably end up having breakfast on the trail. So I'll be starting to walk in most cases by 6.30 at the latest, and I'll be walking through to potentially 5 o'clock in the evening. So it gives me a much longer period. Uh, means I can have shorter days or longer days as I want, and I can stop and do things along the way. The next consideration to look at is equipment. Um, now, I have 
gone through, as I said, I'm a, a compulsive researcher. I have researched every piece of equipment I'll be carrying on this Bibbleman track hike to death. Um, I know the weights of all the gear. Uh, I know uh, what works for me and what doesn't. And I've done that over, again, the last couple of years. So I haven't necessarily chosen the lightest gear. I have in most cases. But in the cases I haven't, I've done it for a specific reason. And one of the reasons I mentioned the weights of equipment here is um, the more weight you're carrying, the more physical demands will be on your body. And I've found that over the years, as I've gotten older, if I injure myself, I don't tend to mend as quickly as I used to 10 or 15 years, or even 20 years ago. Even five years even ago. Five, even five years ago. <laughs> so I'm trying to minimize the weight that I carry. Um, I am carrying probably around about a kilo and a half of podcasting equipment, which most people don't have to deal with, and that tends to add to that. But I'm trying to have a maximum weight carry, including food and water, for a a maximum of seven days of around about 15 kilos. Um, And I'm looking at carrying that amount of weight probably for only a week, and then the weights will be less than that. Um, I'm currently doing pack training, which I'll talk about in in our next podcast episode, and I'm carrying an 18-kilo pack uh, just to give me um, a bit of extra fitness. So when I do actually do this walk, the pack's going to seem much lighter. We talked about a journey towards ultralight hiking in episode two uh, and the benefits of of trying to strip back, back the gear as best you can. So it's worthwhile having a listen to that. And in... In one of the podcast episodes before I do my trip, I'm going to go through and look at the individual gear that I'm carrying uh, and explain or go through in detail why I'm carrying what I am and how I've made my decisions. The other thing that, that I'd probably say here as well is that um, uh, I, for every longer hike that I do, I will do a shakedown hike. And this is where I'll go out on the trail, uh, even if it's just for overnight with my pack as I intend on carrying it, as, as heavy as I intend on carrying it, just to see how it fits and feels, uh, whether there's any issues with any of the equipment I've got. And I'll be doing that uh, sometime over the next three to four weeks uh, once I've finalized everything. Uh, and I'll go on out just a short hike. And in fact, it'll be an overnight hike just to make sure everything works the way it's supposed to. Um, and again, this is something that I can't stress enough. Don't put all the gear together, never having used it, and then go out on your walk. You'll find that things just don't always go to plan. So make sure you do it, even if it's just a, a short hike. The next consideration that I'm looking at from a planning perspective is food. And this is one of the biggest mysteries for most hikers. On our 2016 Larapenta Trail Walk, every hiker we came across, and this included us, overcated for food. We were giving food away, and it was lucky that uh, Steve, who we met up with and travelled with for, for a fair, <laughs> fair part of this walk, he'd only planned on doing roughly half the walk, changed his mind, and it was between you know, the amount of excess food that we had and other people had, he was fully catered for the rest of the trip. So, um, again, this is one of these difficult sort of things to try and work out. So I have spent the last two and a half years trying to get this uh, the food mystery down pat. Uh, and what I have worked out, and this is, um, I actually spent uh, 18 months keeping a detailed food diary, uh, as well as um, keeping uh, working out my calorie expenditure through use of my uh, my Fitbit. 
uh, on each of the hikes that I do. So I know that on a typical 30 kilometer hike, I will expend or use eight and a half thousand calories. And this is three times what you'd actually expect an average male to burn in normal day-to-day life. I'll be carrying around about 900 grams of food per day, and this will provide me with around about 3,500 to 4,000 calories. On a typical two-week hike over the last 12 years, I know from experience that I will lose seven to eight kilos on a two-week hike. And this is where you can see my dilemma, that I'm planning on doing a five to six-week hike which potentially could mean that I could lose 24 kilos and I don't have that much weight to lose. So at best... Who said? <laughs> now, I can comfortably lose 14 kilos. I'm heavier than I am at the moment and I know I can go down to a lower weight quite comfortably. But again, 14 kilos is as much as I've got to play with. So food really is an issue for me. I physically would not be able to carry enough food to cater for... Um, Uh, that amount of calories that I'm going to burn. So what this means is that when I hit the track towns along the uh, the Bibbleman track itself, I'll be looking for the nearest takeaway and restaurant to eat up big uh, and try and consume as many calories as I possibly can in the time that I'll be spent in town. Now, in episode 30, I interviewed nutritionist Lisa Donaldson uh, about nutrition on the trail, which is, it, it's, it, which is actually different than food on the trail. So from a nutritional perspective, it's no good carrying food that gives you no nutrition. And I'm actually going to be meeting with, with Lisa before my trip uh, and saying, well, this is a typical week's worth of food. Where am I short um, from a nutritional perspective? Um, uh, and as I said, the food issue for me is one of the biggest considerations. Um, I, I enjoy my food, but I'm just concerned about getting enough food over that period. Now, while I was researching for this podcast, I came across a uh, an, an interesting fact in relation to the Pacific Crest Trail. And they actually said that a typical thru-hiker on the Pacific Crest Trail, walking around about the 20-mile or 30-kilometer mark a day, uh, could quite comfortably comfortably consume 11 McDonald's Big Macs and still be energy deficient if they're doing those distances day after day. And as I said, if I'm burning 8,500 calories a day, I will be energy deficient. Um, so it's one of those sort of things that it's a matter of how, how can I get my calories. I, I think that's probably lucky that you won't be bumping into McDonald's on the way. <laughs> I think I will. I think I'll find out where they are before I travel. Now, the next consideration is how much is this going to cost you? And again, this is one of these sort of things. In all honesty, I don't know how much my upcoming Bibbleman track hike is going to cost me. I've paid for the airfares. I've um, got but pretty much 99% of all my gear. I still need to go through and sort out food. I will have to pay for accommodation when I stay in towns along the track. Um, and these are things that I'm going to have to go through and add up as I go. So when I do come back from this trip, I will actually go through and do a full costing uh, to give you an indication of what it costs for someone that doesn't live in the Perth region um, uh, about the expenditure that I've gone through and and, uh, added up for this entire trip. One thing I would mention here, and this is a consideration that a lot of people don't tend to think about, but really is something that um, you need to think about if you've never done a long-distance trip before. 
and that is mental stress. People talk about physical stress or physical fitness, but uh, mental stress and mental fitness is also another consideration. I plan on doing this walk as a solo hiker. Um, and again, we talk about the pros and cons of being a solo hiker in, in podcast episode 17. Just imagine being by yourself for five to six weeks with only yourself as company. I will come across other people on the track, but essentially I plan on being walking by myself. Um, are you as an individual able to cope with not being able to talk to people on a regular basis? And some people aren't. The other thing I'd also say is imagine being with a friend or a partner for five to six weeks. Will your relationship survive? And um, Jill and I have previously mentioned when we did the Lara Pinter trial, one of the comments we got from people, and this was only a two-week walk, oh, what did you talk about for two weeks? <laughs> um, and it's like it surprised us. We, As we said, we're quite happy to talk. We're quite happy not to talk. Um, every so often we don't want to talk to each other. Um, but that's just normal. So it's the sort of thing that um, for a lot of people, they don't tend to factor in, will you, you know, it might be that you are better off traveling by yourself and just talking to people as you come across them during the day. It may well be that you are better off traveling with a partner uh, and you stand a stronger chance of success uh, traveling with somebody else. Um so I do tend to travel faster when I travel by myself because I, I'm not tending to be thinking about where the other person is and what they're doing. I'm just focused on I'm heading to a destination and I just tend to get there a bit faster. I have to say that that's the bit about this that worries me. Um, you do get into the zone and I think sometimes um, when people get into the zone, they might not um, notice where they are emotionally or physically. Um, and just become a little bit over, overly obsessive. And, you know, Tim, you have a potential to be overly obsessive. Um, so I do, I, you know, I have to say that that's one of the things that does concern me about this. And I think, again, this is, this is a, this is, a, this is something I'll need to see how I go. Uh, as, because as I said, I've never done a five to six week long hike before. Physically, I don't have any particular worry about it, and I'm capable of doing this. Uh, but mentally, it will be a different issue. And again, I think I'm going to be fine, but I won't really know till I'm actually out on the trail. I think the other thing I'd, I'd say, though, is it's okay to stop. Um, and, and I think, you know, people need to, even, even though they might have put a lot of preparation into something and you want to get to the end and all of that kind of stuff, it is actually okay to say, it's enough, whether it's a physical um, barrier that you've hit or, or an emotional barrier, it's okay to say that's it. Yeah, and I, and I agree. I mean, you know, if, if by some chance, for whatever reason, something happens uh, and I just end up not finishing the hike, I'll come back and do it at a later stage. But <laughs> You won't let it go. <laughs> no, I won't let it go. Um, but certainly, yeah, it's, it's, I'm not going to go through and – yeah, you know, if I'm that physically unwell, I'm not going to keep on going for the sake of it. Uh, and everyone needs to decide what that point is, whether it's a physical or an emotional thing, and where the stop point is. 
One of the things that comes from the U.S. long trials, um, they recommend for the best chance of success is to tell people what you're doing. Um, and it's a bit of a, a mental thing here that if you tell people this is what I'm going to doing, be doing and I'm starting here and finishing here, there's a, there's, there is a bit of pressure to say, well, I've told people I'm going to be doing this, so I need to do it. Uh, but again, having said that, if there really is time to stop, you need to work out what that is and think, right, that's it. I've reached that point. I will actually stop the hike. Now, the final thing, I suppose, is planning a long-distance hike is really a jigsaw puzzle. Um, and you've got a number of different pieces. I started uh, a new a section on the website uh, called Journeys, uh, where I've currently been posting on a weekly basis, and that uh, and a week before my hike and during the hike that will shift to daily, and it'll talk about my experiences in preparing for this hike, and then when I'm on the trail itself, it'll be how I'm feeling and how I'm going, um, in addition to the podcast. So it'll be a written, uh, just a short written update. Um, one of the things that I talked about a few weeks ago on one of the uh, these posts was going down the rabbit hole of planning and I had someone made a comment to me on Facebook there is such a thing as over planning and I agree uh, I think the concept of over planning I mean you can plan for something to happen but if it doesn't what are you going to do uh, so you need to have those sort of contingencies from my perspective I need to know how much food I need to carry. So that'll need, that means I need to know how many days I'm hiking for. I need to know uh, I'm podcasting, so I need to know where I'm going to get uh, phone signal or data signal to be able to upload the podcasts and also to uh, actually recharge the actual electronics that I'll be carrying. Um, and, and there's a number of other factors that tend to be thrown into this mix. So I actually posted a few weeks ago the start of my food planning uh, and really, I, what started as a an exercise in planning my food uh, then went into, well, I'll, to plan my food, I need to know how many days, and to know how many days, I need to know which direction I'm traveling, and then I need to know how much distance I'm traveling each day. So all these individual pieces are linked. Um, you can't just sit down and say, well, I'm going to do this walk in X number of days, and that's that's it. By the time you add food in there, um, you know, what's the maximum food carry? For me, my biggest food carry will be six to seven days. Um, I don't want to carry any more than a maximum of 10 days food because it'll just be getting way too heavy on my pack. So all these things come into play when you're sitting there and planning. You can't plan in isolation. You need to consider all the things together uh, and as I said, I, I spent what started off as a, this is going to take me a couple of hours. I spent sort of five hours and I'd done bits of everything and completed nothing. So this is an exercise I've got to do over the next 10 days is to finalize all my planning. Uh, and this actually includes the direction I'm going to be traveling. I still haven't finalized this. Um, and partly this is to do with the fact that I am podcasting and blogging. Um, it's, uh, there, there is a consideration that most hikers tend not to have to worry about. But as I said, for me, I need to know when I can post podcasts, when I can get battery charges, and, uh, and in all honesty, when I'm likely to meet more people. 
Uh, am I likely to meet more people traveling from south to north or am I likely to meet more people traveling north to south? And that's something I will think about over the next uh, four or five days and finalize in the next week. So do you want to meet more people or less people? Well, I think, as I said, I'm going to be blogging and podcasting. I hope to be talking to people and interviewing them on the trail as I go. So I prefer to be coming face-to-face with people rather than coming up behind them or having people overtaking me. Because so, that's a bit weird and creepy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> and, and, and again, I think it's, it's also a mental thing for me, and I know, it's, I know it's not right, but for me, going from Albany to Perth says I'm going uphill. Uh, and I, 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 I don't <laughs> know. I know it's not the case, but it's just, it's, in fact, well, in fact, it is because you reach the Perth Hills and that's the high part of the trail just towards the end of the hike. And I'd actually rather be doing that when I'm at my fittest than at the start of the walk. Uh, but as I said, I've still got to go through and, and, and make a final decision on that. And really, it's decision time in the next, in the next week on that one. All right. So as I said, um, this really is a brief overview. Uh, I will do a, an in-depth review of the planning processes for this trip uh, at the end of the hike uh, and see how my planning processes have panned out, whether they've been successful or not. And in all honesty, I know there are things that I will plan that won't happen. And I know that the things will happen that are outside of my control, but it's just trying to work out okay, well, this is what I think I'm going to be doing and I've got a bit of flexibility around that. So I hope, uh, hope this has been helpful. Okay, we hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. Our next regular episode, which is due in two weeks' time, is going to be talking about getting fit for hiking. Uh, and we'll discuss... Um, uh, Again, based around not just a long distance hike, but also for normal hiking. We're going to be talking about in detail the things you need to need to consider for getting fit for hiking. I'm just wondering if that involves the squat challenge that we're doing at the we moment. Are. So we're doing the 30 day squat challenge at the moment just to build up leg strength. And I certainly have ramped up my fitness training over the last week in particular on what was already a fairly full on training regime anyway. But for me, as I said, for me, I have a, a a goal in mind and I'm working towards it. All right. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. As always, you can listen to this podcast through our website, Australian Hiker, through SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio and iTunes. And if you have the chance, please go through and rate this episode on iTunes to help get the message out there. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.